the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Bisberg. I'm your host, Gary Dixon. Thanks for joining us. This program today is sponsored by Abernethy and Hagerman, LLC. And we have two guests on the program today. It is attorney Jay Hagerman and also attorney Dan Reimer. Uh, guys, welcome to Bisberg. Hi, Gary. Good to Thanks, see you again. Gary. Good to be here. We'll give you all the contact information several times throughout the program. We haven't gotten that to that yet, but we will shortly. We have a lot of information to cover today. I'm looking forward to also talking to a new member of the team that I've not met before anyway, Dan Reimer, who is with us as well. But we have done, I think nine previous programs jay hagerman and myself it's good to have you back again and let's give for those who have not heard any of those previous episodes a little bit of background information about you and your firm sure well uh you know i was born and raised in pittsburgh i'm a black and gold diehard uh in any event um our law firm is located in the north hills of pittsburgh and uh, we service all over western pennsylvania i've been down to green county and up to erie uh, and our whole goal really is to um, to help our our clients uh, with the tough part uh, of law, which is you know getting older, aging, getting sick, and we do estates, trust, and elder law. So it's not terribly pleasant to think about, but you know we are going to have to face that. And it's always good to kind of have a team approach. Uh, I'm an old football player, uh, surprise in Western Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. But, but in any event, yeah, I, I, we just try to basically work with our clients to get them across that finish line. Uh, and to really make sure that, that they get what they want rather than having to be forced into some type of plan uh, or just the default statutory laws that the government uh, kind of comes up with. So, Yeah, that's, that's right. So we have to think about this stuff. And again, as you mentioned, it's not always a pleasant subject. But, boy, after you've taken care of it, then you feel much better. I can't tell you how many clients have actually said that they, they will sleep better at night yeah. knowing that their plan is done the way that they want it and that their loved ones are, are secure in that. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, bring out uh, Dan Reimer, who's been waiting in a soundproof booth backstage. <laughs> uh, Dan, uh, welcome to Bisberg. Thanks, Gary. Uh, so let's get some background first uh, from you and then talk sure. about the areas of your specialty. Sure. So like Jay, I also was raised in the North Hills. Um, went to Duquesne University. I've been practicing law for 26 years. And uh, as some people sometimes say to me, well, you're practicing an awful lot. When are you actually going to get good at it, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I spent a number of years in the courtroom. I was an assistant district attorney. Uh, I tried cases to judges and juries. And um, and then I spent five years prosecuting judges across the state. I worked for the Judicial Conduct Board. Oh, very good. Uh, at a rather tumultuous period in their existence. And in 2010, moved back to Pittsburgh from Harrisburg and married my lovely bride, Carol, and uh, we have a, a six-year-old daughter at home. And so it's neat to be able to to be helping clients in the very same neighborhoods, you know, that I was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and after spending so many years in the courtroom, I decided to go into an area of law where I was doing more counseling than fighting, right? I don't mm-hmm. really fight with clients anymore. I fight with Jay sometimes. <laughs> but, but he I doesn't win. <laughs> I, that's That's true. But I don't fight with my clients anymore. I mean, I get more hugs than, you know, than, than handshakes anymore with clients, especially the older clients that, 
maybe haven't thought about creating a plan in 20 years. They've got an old will that they haven't dusted off in a couple of decades, and it mm-hmm. just makes them feel good to know that they've reevaluated what's going on in their lives and they've structured a plan to, you know, to leave a better legacy to the kids, to make sure there's money left if one of them winds up in a nursing home. There's a, a number of things that my clients like to think about. Right, and there is so much to think about. Most all of us, except for people like yourselves, are really out of our depth, obviously, in this area. So there's nothing uh, to fear about speaking with an expert and just going through the scenarios. Your attorney, in this case, Jay or Dan, can walk you through, ask some questions which you haven't even thought about, and make sure all the bases are covered for your estate planning. And I guess as far as planning really is the big term, isn't it, Dan? Estate planning, and actually I heard you use before we got on the air a term called pre-planning. Right. So let's talk about pre-planning. Sure. I mean, you know, in our world there's two types of clients, not to to be that general generalizing, but the clients that are in good health or relative good health that have years ahead of them. And then there are the clients that we call crisis clients that one of them's in the nursing home right now or they're getting ready to go into the nursing home. So the clients that I deal with mostly are the healthy clients that just need to take a look at their plan, understand the consequences of long-term care costs and leaving a legacy to the kids and the grandkids. How are we leaving the inheritance to them? Trying to protect their stuff from what we call their creditors and predators, right? Personal injury lawyers, uh, the bankruptcy court, those that are looking to to take uh, what the clients have. So, yeah, I mean, that's what that, that's what we focus on, right? Estate planning, and here's how I define estate planning. Who's in control of my stuff? Who benefits from my stuff and when? And that's really what estate planning is. Everyone has their stuff. House, bank accounts, investments, life insurance. Who's in control of it? Who benefits from it and when? That's what estate planning is. And so with that definition in mind, you have to understand how assets pass upon our death. And there are several ways that that occurs. The first is joint assets. Most married couples have their assets joint, Um, something called tenancy by the entireties in Pennsylvania, uh, which is a special form of protection for a married couple for joint assets. So, for example, if, um, you know, John and Jane Smith are in the car and John gets into an accident and it's John's fault, they can't lose the house because Jane wasn't negligent, right? I see. If if two spouses um, own an asset jointly and both of them are negligent, then that asset is at risk. But typically it's not because only one spouse would be negligent. Mm-hmm. So when one spouse dies, the property is owned by the other spouse, right? It's quite simple. Um, assets passed by way of beneficiary designations, IRAs, 401ks, uh, annuities. What's that all about? Well, that's just a contract, basically, that says upon my death, XYZ Life Insurance Company is to pay that life insurance to, to my wife, Carol, right, or my daughter, Hannah. The asset passes to that person upon death. You might have this thing called a trust, right? What is a trust? Well, we like to describe a trust as just a a box, a wagon, there's a number of, uh, of analogies you can use, but it's an entity that we create to manage assets for the benefit of someone else. And it's so, it's so important, you know, you talk about, you know, who gets your stuff, who manages your stuff. And I think most people would like for their stuff to be managed and to be gotten by uh, people they love and care about rather than necessarily a nursing home right. or the government we would hope that most of our listeners are honest and want to give the government its due, whatever that may be. But why give them more than you need to give them? Wouldn't you rather have 
as much as possible go to people that you love. Do you want to get a little deeper into trusts? Just explain how that all works? And sure. do you recommend trusts for most people? I wouldn't say we recommend trust for most people. Every client's different. Every family's different. You know, whether a trust is right for somebody, it just depends on what their goals are, what they want to accomplish by it. Uh, Trusts are not just meant for the Rockefellers. Obviously, we use uh, trusts in a lot of different settings. Um, But a trust basically has three parties to it. The, the, The person or persons that create it, we call them in Pennsylvania the settlers. There's other names for it, trust maker, grantors. Uh, The next party uh, are the trustees. Now, the trustees are the individuals that manage the assets. They have a fiduciary obligation to be managing the assets that are in the trust for the benefit of the third party, which is the beneficiaries, right? So you've got the the trust makers or the settlers, the trustees of the trust, and the beneficiaries. In a revocable trust, and that's what most people probably have or have experience with, The client is typically all three of those things, right? It's their trust. They built it. They're Mm -hmm. the trustees because they still want to be in control and manage the assets. And they're also the beneficiaries, meaning anytime they want, they can reach into their trust and pull out what they want to pull out and do whatever they want to do with it. That's a revocable trust. Now, what's the advantage of a revocable trust? Well, there's two. The first advantage of a revocable trust is if everything you have is in that trust upon your death, You don't have to go through probate. And we haven't talked about probate Mm -hmm. yet, although I'm sure the listeners are aware what probate is. But if everything is in a trust, there isn't a need for the courthouse. There isn't a need to hire a lawyer that might get 3 to 6% for for probate fees. It's a lot simpler. It's quicker, generally. It gives the kids much better instructions as to what to do and how to do it. And, And I think that you know, probate avoidance uh, over the last 20, 30 years has been one of the main drivers of, uh, of revocable living trust-based planning. Um, the other advantage of the revocable trust is that in the event of incapacity, if mom or dad gets sick, the trust provides a better rule book for that, right? How do we deal with their assets now that mom or dad has gotten sick, whether dementia or Alzheimer's? We want to make sure we have a nice depth chart of individuals in charge to take over and Um, And it's easier to deal with a trust than it is to deal with a banker that's looking at a power of attorney that might be 10 or 15 years old, right? And they're starting to get a little worried about that document and whether they're willing to honor it. So those are the two advantages of a revocable trust. Uh, So let's talk about irrevocable trust, right? The word irrevocable scares a lot of people. When mm -hmm. I meet with clients and they say, ooh, I don't want an irrevocable, right? They did some Googling and they read some articles about it. And they learned incorrectly that they have to lose control and they, you know, they can't use their money anymore and all that. And, and, and those are myths that need to be dispelled hmm. in this era of nursing home bills at ten, twelve, fourteen thousand dollars a month. Right. There's two types of irrevocable trust that, that we deal with in, in elder law. The first would be the kind of trust that was created 15 or 20 years ago by lawyers that's sole purpose was to get the assets out of one's taxable estate such that when they died, the government wasn't taking half of that, right? The death mm-hmm. tax was a very burdensome tax 15, 20 years ago. So those types of trust had to be built in a way that the client couldn't be trustee. In other words, they couldn't be in control. They couldn't be a beneficiary of either income or principal. They truly had to give this stuff away. And in doing so, it was no longer part of their estate such that when they died, they avoided that tax. But the good news is, you know, the federal government uh, has given us each what I call a very large coupon, $11.2 million coupon each one of us has, meaning that we can give during our life and at our death $11.2 million to 
our loved ones without there being a dime of federal estate tax due. Hmm. And okay. with married couples, they, they doubled that. It's, uh, it's portability. So for a married couple, you, you know, unless you're giving away $22.4 million, you don't need to worry about that. So because of that, I don't need to worry about the rules that say I can't be the trustee of an irrevocable trust, that I can't be perhaps an income beneficiary, right? Mm-hmm. So the irrevocable trust is designed to protect the assets that clients want to protect. Now, are you saying that it's no longer, in many cases, necessary to have an irrevocable no, not, trust? Not for tax avoidance purposes, right. right? Unless you have, you know, $40 million, you're not going to need... Um, Let me check. You're, which, you're right. I, yeah, which I tell my clients, yeah. that's a great problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, yeah I, when I do workshops and there's someone in the room that says, oh, I may have that, I say, well, let's talk after the workshop. <laughs> and th- yeah. There are ways that, we, and honestly, there's, there's ways that we handle those clients, too, that are just very exceptional using a series of different uh, – um, anyway, that, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. It's a whole different subject. But if, if that's a problem that you do have, we can take care of you, just not in this conversation. <laughs> so, Gary, the, the, the kind of irrevocable trusts that, that I typically create for clients that have a desire for asset protection, and who doesn't want to protect their house from the nursing home or the government, right? But the kind of irrevocable trust that I prepare for clients is one in which the clients can still be in control. They can mm-hmm. be the trustees, right? There's nothing in the law that says that a client cannot be a trustee of an irrevocable trust. There's a number of um, uh, crats, cruts, uh, charitable trusts where clients can be trustees where that right. isn't an issue. There's no reason why they can't be in control. Now, having said that, if the goal of the irrevocable trust is to protect the assets from the nursing home or from you know creditors and predators – I do have to give up some of their rights to the assets. There's a very basic rule of law here, and it doesn't sound very legal, but this is the rule. If you can get your stuff, so can your creditors and predators, right? If you have access to your assets, so does anybody else. A creditor can jump into your shoes and take what you have. So the corollary of that rule is also true, right? If I can't get at my stuff, neither can my creditors and predators in the nursing home. So that's the type of trust that we would put assets in for people that have a desire to protect some of their assets. Well, it's, uh, boy, important stuff to know, that's for sure, and to plan in advance. And we appreciate you joining us on the program today called Bisberg. If you just uh, joined us, we're speaking with attorneys Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer, who are with Abernethy and Hagerman. The website for more information is a-h.law. And the phone number, 412-486-6624. That's 412-486-6624. Again, the website, a-h.law. Well, that's some great information we've learned so far about trusts, and let's continue in that vein. Let's talk about the trust itself. How would you explain it to us? How does a trust actually work, Dan? Well, back to the the three parties of the trust, right? The the trust makers or the settlers will create this document. They'll write the rule book for how the trust is to operate. Uh, Typically, um, with clients that I meet with and and that become my clients, they become trustees of the trust. And the beneficiaries are typically kids, maybe grandkids. Uh, The way the trust works is there's two types of distributions of assets from a trust. In other words, who gets to benefit from what's in the trust and when? So during lives of my clients, they as trustees have the right to distribute assets, right, to pay some of the money that's in the trust to one of the beneficiaries or all of the beneficiaries. 
What's the point in getting money out of the trust? It's to get it to the people that, that you love, right? There's income and principal, if you understand the difference between income and principal. If I, if I put a $100,000 stock account into a trust, that's the principal, right? $100,000. Yeah. And if that stock generates a dividend for 2019, that's the income. If the clients have a, a desire for income, we make them income beneficiaries, right? They can get the income from the trust. If the clients have the right to principal, well, now we're in a problem if it's an irrevocable trust. Because if I give the clients the right to principal, then who else can get the principal, right? The creditors and predators mm-hmm. in the nursing home. Um, so typically, as trustees of the trust, you have to manage the assets just like you do your own assets, right? You got to keep records. You, you have a checkbook. If distributions are made, you've you got to make sure that, that you have record of who the money gets distributed to. And the beneficiaries of the trust are essentially recipients of a gift. And so even for gift tax purposes, you know, everybody knows you can give $15,000 a year to anybody and you don't even have mm-hmm. to report it, right? Well, if a trust makes a distribution to a kid for $20,000, technically the creators of that trust have to file a gift tax return. The kid doesn't pay a dime. Distributions from, from this type of trust, it's called a grantor trust, the kids are never going to pay income tax from it. It's always going to flow back to the creators of the trust. Because I give my clients so much control over the uh, the management of this trust, in the eyes of Uncle Sam, it's not its own taxpayer. So the client's Social Security number will be used for any tax reporting. So, Dan, you uh, concentrate, I guess, a lot on the pre-planning and the meeting with clients who aren't there yet as far as end of life scenarios, uh, who are planning ahead generally, far enough ahead, where there's some time uh, to set this thing up properly. And then, of course, you have the other kind of client, as you guys mentioned, who are about maybe there now, they're about to enter a nursing home and they're in a crisis situation. Now it's a little bit of a, a different scenario, I, I would imagine. And uh, Jay, let's talk to you and you tell us what happens at that point and after death. Right. So basically, the, the answering the simple question is what, um, how do trusts work then after the death of the grantors or the settlers or the trust makers? Those are all the synonyms for that person. Um, so the way that it works is, and we're going to touch on it. So, so just to reiterate, if you're just joining us, after someone passes away, assets really pass you know, four ways. They're going to pass by operation of law between joint owners. They're going to pass by beneficiary designation, which is essentially a contract. They're going to pass... Um, you know, through the probate process via via will, or even if you don't have a will, they'll pass through a uh, government-based plan called the Intestate Act of Pennsylvania, um, or, or basically, you know, they can pass via trust. Um, so, in any event, a trust, as a, as Dan had alluded to earlier, circumvents the entire probate process, uh, and it basically then it, what happens uh, to that point. Uh, going back to the three parties, the, success, the, the original trust makers who could be the trustees are now deceased, so we need to have successor trustees. So it's really important actually to have that conversation with maybe the next generation or even there are professional trustees, uh, companies that exist, especially in Pittsburgh, um, that have trust departments who act as a corporate trustee, as a uh, you know, fiduciary professionally. But in any event, what happens is uh, – you know, all the assets that are contained in this trust bucket, or as Dan even alluded to, this wagon, this vehicle, right, mm-hmm. uh, we need to collect. It's also possible to have beneficiary designations paid, like for instance, a life insurance policy paid to a trust after death. 
So you can fund a trust during life or after death. In any event, we have to marshal all of these assets. We have to ascertain all of the creditors that possibly could be subject to that. Depending on the type of trust, there may not be any. But once again, depending on the type of trust, there may be. So we have to figure that out. And once again, that's why lawyers are involved. You don't have to go this on your own. This is what we do for literally hundreds of folks across western Pennsylvania. Every quarter, every year, we, we help hundreds and thousands of folks to get through this process. You're not in it alone. But in any event, what we, we really do is the, the, the trust is a rule book. So we have to follow the rules. And as I said, I'm an old football player. So once we have that game plan together, mm-hmm. uh, we really just have to follow, you know, if you're making the trust, your beneficiaries and you're, you're, you have to follow the game plan. So the good news is there's a lot of contingencies written in this game plan uh, that you can have. So for instance, uh, if there is a child or even a beneficiary who is a minor grandchild who you as the trust maker or grantor don't really know how they're going to turn out, God forbid they get into a drug or alcohol issue, mm-hmm. you can write into your game plan that under no circumstance can this, the, your money ever be used to pay for a drug or alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, an interesting thing. In any event, we basically marshal the assets and we, we find out what the game plan is and we, we follow the rules as to getting the assets to the beneficiary under that rule set. Now, along the way, depending on the type of trust we have, we have to pay our lovely commonwealth. Uh, it's death tax, which is Pennsylvania inheritance tax. Uh, some trusts can avoid that. But, you know, sometimes that, you know, sometimes you just have to give to Caesar what Caesar's to borrow from a biblical reference, right? In any event, once the rule book is taken care of, then, you know, you, you get to work with, with us as lawyers to, to you know, essentially uh, get those assets to your loved ones. Now, the good thing with a trust is it's private. Uh, you also avoid a bunch of governmental fees. Uh, there's a lot of hidden fees in the probate process. For instance, there's this thing called an inventory fee. So basically, if you pass away with a $200,000 house, the government is literally charging you to file a two-page piece of paper in the, uh, you know, the, the Register of Wills or in Allegheny County. It's the Department of Court Records probate clerk's office to literally uh, to pay hundreds, and, uh, hundreds of dollars uh, just to file a piece of paper because you have a $200,000 house. With a trust, you don't have to file an inventory because there's no probate process. If you don't have a trust, then probate is something that you may have to go through? More than likely. I mean, once again, typically the way that it works is... Will or not? Yeah, will or not. That, that is irrelevant. I mean, uh, you know, the way that it works is let's look at our average Western Pennsylvania family. You know, you have two spouses and you generally have a house and um, some vehicles, some checking and savings accounts, probably retirement accounts, like either IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, whatever, whatever soup of the, you know, the, the alphabet mm-hmm. soup of the day is for Pension that. plan. Life insurance policies. Life insurance, right. Right. So the typical, the way that it works is everything is, is generally titled uh, that can be jointly, so spouses, right? When one spouse passes away, by operational law, as we said, the ones the other spouse receives that asset without having to do anything. Now, on the death of the second spouse, however, that house is going to go either according to, unless something else is done, according to that second-to-die spouse's will, or if they don't have a will, it'll go under the Pennsylvania Intestate Act. What is that? The Pennsylvania Intestate Act is a set of rules that the state legislature has written for you in case you don't have a will. And I'm telling you that the legislature is not a great author of your, uh, <laughs> of your legacy. Right. Um, it is not intuitive. You think that everything goes to spouse uh, upon death. That's not the case. And generally, it's very rare that that's the case. But you can change that with a will or a trust. The word, the word probate in and of itself is a Latin word. And the, and the root of that, the etymology, is it means to prove or to publish. 
So I, I think of the TV show, I think it was Bewitched with Gladys Kravitz across the street, who was a nosy neighbor trying mm-hmm. to look at, look at everything that the, um, the Stevens were doing. Well, that's what can happen in probate. Your nosy neighbors can, if they really wanted to, find out what's going on, uh, who's getting what, when, and where. It's all public. All public, yep. And you just have to know where to look for it, and it's, it's online now, especially in Allegheny County. So a trust doesn't have any of that. Well, that's uh, a big uh, plus for a trust right there. Right. Avoid uh, everybody knowing your business exactly. and on your passing. Good points as well. The phone number to call if you'd like to make contact with Abernethy and Hagerman, the law firm, is 412-486-6624. That's 412-486-6624. And the website to go to is very simple, a-h.law. Jay and Dan, we have about 90 seconds or so remaining in the program, so let's just hit the highlights again of what we have discussed on this episode of Bisberg. Sure. I mean, at the 30,000-foot level, it's important for folks to realize that if you don't have your own estate plan, you get stuck with what we call the government's estate plan. Uh, And the government's plan isn't going to look anything like you'd want your family's plan to be. 65% of folks don't have the most basic plan. So, you know, and as part of that, a component of that plan we've talked about a little bit is how assets pass upon death. You have to have a, an appreciation for what happens to joint assets, passing one to the other. What happens with beneficiary designations? You've got to make sure you have those updated, right? If you have an ex-wife listed as a beneficiary in your life insurance policy and something happens to you, the ex-wife's going to get that money, right? That's right. Um, it, whether you have a will, a will is important at the very least to designate somebody to be in charge of stuff. Not all assets will pass through the will, but it's important to have one nonetheless. And if there's a desire to make things simpler for the kids, um, make the rule book clearer, a revocable trust uh, makes a lot of sense. It's, okay. It avoids probate, it's private, and it makes things a lot tidier for, for whoever has to, to manage things when you guys pass away. All right. It makes it so much easier in the long run for you and your loved ones who follow you as well. Guys, thanks for all the great information. We've been speaking with attorneys Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer with Abernethy and Hagerman, LLC, who are the sponsors of today's program. The website for more information is a-h.law and the phone number 412-486-6624. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.